I'm Baratunde Thurston, and this is Spit. Spit is a collaboration between iHeartMedia and 23andMe, and we recorded this episode for you in front of a beautiful crowd in tortilla-wrapped, barbecue-drenched Austin, Texas, for South by Southwest. Now, for those who don't already know, and most of you should because this is a top 10 podcast, this show explores how DNA is changing our lives and the world around us. Today, we're going deep on type 2 diabetes. More than 30 million Americans live with diabetes. Over 84 million live with prediabetes. And here's what we want to know. Why has this disease become such a widespread health crisis? What are some of the easy steps that everyone can take to take control of their health and stop prediabetes from progressing? And as scientists and organizations push for a cure for type 2, how can we remove the stigma from diabetes and encourage people to get active and take back their lives? Now, we've got some great science to drop on you. We've got some passionate and compelling stories. And I promise you're going to be inspired by a lot of what you hear today. But before we get into all that, let's meet our guests. To my far right, the woman in red, Tracy D. Brown has lived for 15 years, for over 15 years, with type 2 diabetes. My daughter and I are very close, so she would see me taking my insulin shot. She was five years old, and she looked at me one day. We were in the bathroom. I was taking my blood sugar, and she said, Mommy, are you going to die from diabetes? That was the turning moment for me in which I said, I'm going to do everything in my power not to. She is the CEO of the American Diabetes Association, and she has a remarkable story, leaving her high-profile business and marketing positions at the height of her career to take diabetes head-on. Thank you for being here, Tracy. Sure. Thank you. To my immediate right, we have the co-founder of Lark, Julia Hugh. What if you could have a 24-7 personal care team that understood your numbers, understood your genetics, and could chat with you like a friend yeah. at any point in time when you needed help? Her health app was named by Forbes as one of the most innovative in the world. Lark uses technology to deliver incredible and compassionate one-on-one -on -one care. We'll learn why Lark teamed up with 23andMe and how the company is using genetic analysis to help people make healthier choices. And thank you so much, Julia Hu, for being here. Thanks so much, guys. Yes. And finally, we have the iconic Tim McGraw. My face pops up on the screen for this movie. And my daughter looked at me and says, geez, Dad, because I was about 45 pounds heavier. You know, my kids are old enough to notice the lifestyle that I'm leading. You know him as an actor, a multi-Grammy winning, multi-platinum artist. He's also got a new line of fitness gyms called True Mav and a new fitness book coming out this fall called Grit and Grace. He's also been the face of America's Diabetes Challenge, Tim McGraw, thank you for being here. Thank you. And Tim, I want to start with you. You've been an oh athlete. Oh boy. Yes. Oh. We're going to get I've right been back into there talking to all these smart people. Yes. Got to go first. That's we're going to start with you, and then we'll climb from there. We're going to start at the bottom and work your way up. <laughs> so listen, I, I know you've been an athlete much of your life. Yeah. Your father, Tug, was a professional baseball player for much of his life. And your, as was my uncle. As was your uncle. Yeah. This is, so this is in the family. Yeah. Fitness is in the family. And your friends say you have this reputation for coaching and cheerleading and trying to bring the best out of folks around you. In fact, I did a, an image search for you oh this boy. morning. 
it humbled me. Uh, it made me start doing push-ups right away. <laughs> push-ups and crunches, plank all day, every day. Just if you Google image search Tim McGraw, you're going to start planking uh, immediately. <laughs> now, 10 years ago, you had this relatively sudden, I'd say dramatic shift in your focus on health due to life on the road, maybe due to situations within your family. Can you share with us what prompted that shift and how you managed and learned from life on the road to this new focus on health and wellness? Sure. Um, you know, th there was one specific thing that was sort of an aha or aha moment for me, but uh, it was a confluence of things in my life and factors that were leading me to start paying attention more and more to my health. Having kids will do that for you because you want to be around to see them grow up and see what they make out of themselves. And, right. and certainly you want to be around to be a grandparent and, and see their kids thrive. So that was a factor. Um, life on the road and being busy and, and not taking care of yourself. And, you know, everybody's got a busy lifestyle, so it's hard to find time to take care of yourself. But one particular moment that really sort of made me take a good hard look at what I was doing and sort of shift my life around and, and focus better on my health and being around for my kids is we were at a Christmas movie and the trailers were coming on and I had just finished a movie that I hadn't seen or didn't see anything about and still haven't seen it to this day. As You're really proud fact. of your work there. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably because of this that it happened. We were in the movie theater and my girls were with me and my wife and, and sure enough, two trailers into the program, my face pops up on the screen for this movie. And my daughter looked at me and says, geez, dad, because I was about 45 pounds heavier. And how old was she at that time? And she was, at that time, she was 10, maybe 10 or 11. When she said, geez, yeah. dad, she wasn't like, geez, dad, no, she you're wasn't looking geez, great. Dad. Was, she was yeah. like, geez, dad, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was a wake-up call to me that, you know, my kids are old enough to notice the lifestyle that I'm leading. Right. And I think that was, there was more to it than just that picture, that image of me that she saw. Because kids can be very intuitive and they can be very smart. They can certainly drop words of wisdom on you just like and that. And they don't have the filters that grow. And they don't either. have the filters that we have. So that was a big turning point in my life. And, and I wanted to get healthy and I wanted to be around. And I was having a very successful career. My wife is, is having a successful career. My kids are doing fantastic. I wanted to stick around and want to continue to have a great career. I wanted to continue to work hard. I wanted to continue to be productive. I wanted to continue to be clear-eyed and clear-headed about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go in my life. And I wanted to set a good example for my children. Well, it sounds like you've been able to do that. How hard is that with the life of a musician touring? We've talked to so many artists on this show who have built-in challenges to their career choice because you're not eating, you're not in control of your, your diet or yeah. your movement yeah. often. How have you been able to build in routines to, to be able to, to achieve that? Well, you know, it's a struggle to start with, but once I found my footing and realized that it was going to be a real commitment to me. I just made it part of my program. And what I did for me, and, and you know, it works different for everyone. You just start doing something every day, no matter what it is, something physical every day, whether it's go out and take a 10-minute walk and walk 10 minutes back home. Start doing something every day, and it leads to something. And for me, when it started becoming part of what I looked at as my work preparation, and when I looked at it from that point of view, what my livelihood and my kids' livelihood and, and how I'm going to pay for their college – which is very expensive where my kid goes, <laughs> how can I pay for their college? It turned into, this is going to be part of me punching the clock every morning. And every morning at 8 o'clock or whenever, I find times where I can't do it at 8 o'clock, but I, I told everybody that works for me that this is part of my routine. This is going to be part of my life from here on out. And, and look at this as part of my job. I heard you tour with a gym. We do. I mean, we have a gym and we have ropes and tires and 
anything you can imagine that's out what around kind of just outside like a military the training yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of the whole band <laughs> boot camp. we start out with about 10 guys that start out the day with us and we end up with two or three left by the end of it <laughs> yeah. but this is open to the rest of your band to your crew band crew opening yeah. acts whoever wants to use it that are on our tour for right. sure yeah and it's, it's open to anybody and we always encourage people to join in and we have fun with it too because for us it's a team building exercise as much as anything because when we're out there doing that together and accomplishing things together and we we come up with ideas for our show and ideas that we want to do with our lighting and song ideas and all that stuff sort of happens which does happen when the endorphins are firing yeah. and, your, and your mind's getting clear and you're working and working all the bad stuff out of your body i guess you're giving us a different image of the stereotypical view of a band on the road mm-hmm. We've got a lot of imagery in our head about hard partying and drinking and irresponsible behavior. I could tell you some of those stories, too. (laughs) No, no, no. That was a while ago. (laughs) According to Tim McGraw, bands are now doing CrossFit together. Bands don't do that anymore. (laughs) So I want to talk to you about how you became the face of this America's Diabetes Challenge and what is your relationship or connection or passion around type 2 diabetes? First, when when I was asked to be a part of the American Diabetes Challenge, the first thing I thought of, this is a great way to motivate people and inform people. And if, if I can use my celebrity cash, I guess, to bring awareness to something, that's what you're supposed to use it for, right? If you're going to put your face and step out and do something, you're supposed to do something that, that's for the good of the community, I think. For me, it was about health and lifestyle and fitness and, and things that you can physically put your hand on to do to make your life better. And that's getting information and moving. Like if you're laying on the bed and the bed's spinning, you put your foot on the ground. So find something that you can grab a hold to to start the spin in the right direction. For me, that's what it was. And and I had an aunt, uh, my great aunt, who was really more like my aunt because she was my grandmother's younger sister. So she was closer to my mom's age. Mm -hmm. And she was a beloved aunt. And she battled type 2 diabetes and eventually died way too young from complications from it. So it, w- it was a personal to me as well. Yeah. But but the main thing is boy, improving your health improves. You never know who's watching you. And if you do something positive, somebody else is going to, I guarantee you, somebody else is following along doing something positive as well, whether you know it or not. And somebody's watching them and they're following along and doing something positive as well. So you can make an exponential change just by setting an example. Well, thanks for that example. And, and I think it's a great segue, Tracy, to your story, your connection to this. You are in the business of getting information to folks and encouraging us to move. But how did this start for you and and where does that personal connection to type two come from? So it's really um, similar to Tim. I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes when I was pregnant with my daughter. And for 80% of the women, it goes away after you have your child. For 20%, it remains. And so I was in that 20% that it moved from gestational to type two. And I probably should have taken the diagnosis seriously then, and I didn't. I'm pretty type A, I'm pretty competitive. I figured I got this, I can figure this out. And it wasn't until um, my daughter, my daughter and I are very close. So she would see me taking my insulin shots. She would see me, you know, just pricking my finger every day. She was five years old and she, looked at me one day, we were in the bathroom, I was taking my blood sugar, and she said, mommy, are you going to die from diabetes? And that was the turning moment for me. One of the things specifically that I'm really passionate about is there's still a lot of stigma associated with diabetes. When people hear my story, and I basically unapologetically tell my story to whoever, whenever, as often as I possibly can, 
people will always say to me, you don't look like you have diabetes. Mm. And so... What do you think they mean by that? I think what they're trying... Well, I hope what they're trying to say is you look pretty good. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a sideways compliment. Right. I mean, right, you look pretty good. But I think what they're implying is that people who are living with this disease has either done something themselves to get it or they assume that you are not fit, you're not athletic, that you're overweight, that you're just generally not healthy, and therefore that is why you have diabetes. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, there are lifestyle factors, but genetics play a, a role in this as well. Yes, your lifestyle plays a role, but you can be very, very healthy and still be living with this disease. And it's one of the few disease states when you tell someone that you're living with diabetes, they just go, oh, they don't. If you say that you're living with another disease state, and God forbid anyone has any of them, but if you tell someone you're living with cancer, it's a completely different reaction. The judgment reaction. The, right. And so yeah. that's part of how I came. It was just my daughter. I want to be around for her yeah. Um, yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. So Control should, the things you can, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And listen to your children. And listen to your children. <laughs> they are wise. And maybe they'll listen to you one day. Maybe. Maybe. 20 years later, they'll thank you. Right now, they just want what they want. Can, can you help us get into the numbers? Yes. I shared some, what to me are still alarming numbers, of the number of Americans who have full-blown type 2 and the 84 million who have pre-diabetes. And the 90% of those who don't know that they yes. are pre-diabetic. There are some just alarming statistics around this health crisis. So there are 30 million Americans living with diabetes and the number is growing. You multiply that by 10 for the world. So over 300 million in the world. There are 228 people who die per day from diabetes and its complications, which a lot of people have no idea that is the case. When you look at the population who is affected by prediabetes or diabetes, to put this in perspective, you have a 1 in 4,100 chance of getting E. coli. You have a 1 in 10 billion chance of getting mad cow disease. And, right. Like, you see your reaction I'm, I'm right there? I'm thrilled. Right? Right? Take that, cow. Exactly. <laughs> and then you have 1 in 480 chance of having breast cancer, a 1 in 42 chance of having heart disease, but a 1 in 2 chance of having prediabetes or diabetes. So half of us are affected with prediabetes and diabetes. Yet the sense of urgency around doing something to combat and stop this health crisis isn't as high. It starts with awareness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to know your numbers, and most people don't even know what number. Yeah. Is it my blood sugar, my blood glucose? Is it A1C? What is it that I should know? And so the first order of business is just getting people aware. Mm -hmm. We talk about that everyone is connected through diabetes. With one out of two people living with yeah. prediabetes or diabetes, someone you know, if not yourself, your family, your aunt, your uncle, your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, someone that you know has diabetes. So we're connected for life. You have my attention. Yes, absolutely. With Bells that. go I think up, you have they? everyone's attention with one and two. Yeah. That's me or someone right next to me. So that's everybody. That's right. 
what does it mean to be pre-diabetic? What is the difference between pre-diabetes and type 2? And can you help us understand, okay, I'm alarmed. I'm leaning forward here. What does that mean? Yes. So pre-diabetes, there are two numbers that we tend to look at. One is the A1C, which is a hemoglobin blood test. If you and everyone can get that, and you should demand it when okay. you go to the doctor. I'll demand it at Starbucks. Te- text. Yes. Well, I don't know if Starbucks can help They're you They're everywhere, there, though. So. <laughs> demand taking this test. If your A1C is below 5.7, you do not have diabetes. If you're between 5.7 and 6.5, that is what we would term as prediabetes. Okay. Anything higher than 6.5 is diabetes. The other test that you can take is where you see people pricking their finger, blood glucose or blood sugar. And just so that everyone knows, the blood glucose, our blood sugar is what gives us energy. When you have type 2 diabetes, you don't have enough insulin. And insulin you can think of as the key that unlocks the ability for your cells to get that blood glucose so that you can have energy. Great. You can actually get your blood glucose tested at any clinic, any doctor, But start with knowing your numbers. With 84 million people with prediabetes and 90% not knowing, know first, and then actually just start modifying your behavior so that you don't move over into full-blown. How did we get here? You described these numbers are increasing. They sound alarming. I don't remember 30 years ago hearing such large numbers. What do we know about what has caused this explosion? I am not a doctor or a genetic scientist, but here's what I do know. There are a lot of things that are happening in terms of how we eat, our exercise or lack thereof, how you actually manage your stress, your sleep. All of these things actually contribute. And just think about how the world continues to change. We have this these everywhere. Super, these, these We're never disconnected from anything. Phone. I mean, it's just, there's a lot going on in right. the world. And with one out of two people subject to develop diabetes, I mean, that that's a good argument for benefits all of us to have good healthcare that's access exactly for right. everyone. If only there were a way to use technology to help us <laughs> get better access to healthcare. <laughs> Julia who? <laughs> oh, I didn't see you there. Can you tell us, you're the co-founder of this, this company, Lark, which is using artificial intelligence essentially to provide sort of a nurse in the cloud <laughs> at our fingertips, literally, through text messaging. What's your connection to chronic disease? Why did you build a company focused on helping people manage their diseases? Yeah, so, I mean, listening to these inspirational stories about, you know, your kids, similarly for me, it was my dad. So I grew up with a chronic disease, uh, and it was undiagnosed for the first 25 years of my life. And it was just so painful. Ever since I was a little kid, my dad took me to 30 specialists. No one could figure out what I had. They gave up on me. He kept on searching. He quit his day job, kept on searching, finally found this doctor, this pediatrician. It wasn't even a specialist. Not a specialist. No. And Dr. Peng had no idea what I had, but worked with me and him every week. And, And he was like everything for me. He was my therapist. He coached me over 12 years how to completely change my diet, completely changed how I exercised, how I managed stress. 
how I managed the awkward friend and bully conversations, um, my pain, my medication, over 12 years, got rid of around 90% of my attacks. It was so helpful for me. And then my dad was there being my cheerleader and just giving me so much love. And the two of them were like my 24-7 personal care team. And I, I still manage my chronic condition. They were your Tim McGraw. <laughs> That's right, Tim. I'd like to hire you as my personal <laughs> trainer. And, um, you know, please. So, yeah, so they were my Tim McGraw, exactly. Yeah. And I thought, what if everyone could have a Tim McGraw <laughs> in their pocket? <laughs> You I know, want Tim McGraw. Yeah. I want a Tim McGraw too. Yeah. You got to launch a new product. So, um, unfortunately, I mean, billions of people have chronic conditions, yeah. and there are not enough nurses, there are not enough doctors in the world. What if you mm. could have a 24 7 personal care team that understood your numbers, understood your genetics, and could chat with you like a friend yeah. at any point in time when you needed help? So, Lark is trying to help anyone with chronic disease have compassionate but also medically informed personalized health care whenever they need it. Yeah. The medically informed part is critical. There is a lot of promise from technology and apps that doesn't have substance. And your program uh, and your company does. You all recently announced a certification from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Can you explain what that is? Not Thank the you CDC, so much. but what the certification yeah. is. Yeah, the CDC has done decades of research on how to most effectively prevent diabetes. And they've created a CDC diabetes prevention program. And they've done a lot of work, and, and Tracy's organization has done so much work in, in certifying and, and recognizing the core curriculum. So the CDC created this way to offer uh, certifications to different types of companies mm -hmm. for those who are clinically robust. We recently, after several years, received the highest level of clinical certification by the CDC to be able to provide digital care to pre-diabetics to prevent their diabetes. If you're able to help someone lose 5% of body weight, you're able to reduce the onset of type 2 diabetes by 58%. So it's a huge way to start fighting type 2 diabetes. Uh, so now we are the second largest CDC diabetes prevention program healthcare provider in the country. The fastest growing. Thank you. <laughs> That's worth a clap. That's Thank worth a you. shout. Thank you. Yes. Um, we, we've helped close to 2 million yeah. people fight and prevent diabetes. And, and we really, really are excited to be with this great 23andMe program to reach more people. And the way that program works, can you describe what the 23andMe partnership looks like? Sure. So our scientists worked with their scientists for the past year. That's a lot of science. Um, That's a lot of science. <laughs> it's a lot of smart people, a lot yeah. smarter than me. So we have been able to take the science that they've created, all of the interventions that you can do to prevent diabetes and lose weight most effectively if you have a certain genetic variant. So it's really personalized. It's super case. personalized. Yeah. And we take that, we combine it with our coaching, which is based on your weight and we coach you on nutrition, we coach you on, on exercise, yeah. we coach you on sleep, stress. And it's, it's basically taking their data and 
coaching you at the right moment with a text messaging. So it's one-on-one -on -one yeah. text messaging based on your genetics and other factors. So this is well beyond like you up. This is serious text messaging back and forth. Tracy, in this organization, you were appointed, rose to the power of president. We are sitting with Madam President uh, in mid-2018. What is the effect on people once they know, once they feel like they have tools, whether it's LARC or something else, to help them manage the disease, to help them live better with it, to even help reduce their risk? How do they respond to that? What I think works most effectively and what has worked for me is yeah. when you feel empowered, when you know I have recently started wearing um, a continuous glucose monitor myself because I want the data yeah. to understand how my body is affected by what I eat, how I exercise, how I sleep. And so this notion of empowerment, what we're really trying to get to is people to change their behavior and make this a part of their lifestyle. That's when the change actually sticks. Yeah. And so, A, it starts with knowing. B, it starts with providing them with the tools that they need. So um, the American Diabetes Association, we have obviously a lot of knowledge, education, and tools. We have a website that has a robust set of information. We, too, partner very closely with the CDC. And in fact, uh, the American Diabetes Association Standards of Care is the gold standard of how to care and manage diabetes. So it's driving the awareness, getting them the tools, but then you have to have some wins yeah. along the way. And I talk about just making progress. Yes, we have a goal that we want to get to. There are very few things that you do in life that go from zero to perfection. And so we just say, let's get better. Hmm. And empowering with knowledge and tools are the way to do that. Yeah. I know for me, the unlock, I worked myself off of insulin. Wow. I cut my... That's my, a big deal. Amazing. That is a big deal. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I cut my orals in half. And as someone living with type 2 versus type 1, we do have the ability to work our way off of some of these medications. Yeah. And so I plateaued. What makes diabetes very complicated yeah. is there is no one size fits all. Everybody's body reacts very differently to things. But here's the thing. I thought I had been managing all this time. I try to manage my carbohydrate intake. I thought I could have a palm full of rice, a palm full of French fries. Like, you know, it's not zero palm carbs. Palm full of French fries. That's a unique quantity of French right, fries. So small, it. but enough to, like, <laughs> satisfy. What, what I learned from my continuous glucose monitor is it doesn't matter how much rice I have. Rice just doesn't react good with my body. So I started with the palm, and I, I would see my... Because you see it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. My blood glucose shoot up, and then... I was like, well, let me half cut that in half. So it was like half a palm. <laughs> and it shot up. Yeah. But what I noticed was when I ate shoestring french fries, the little palm full of shoestring french fries, I didn't have as high of a spike. So what this continuous glucose monitor started to teach me is what foods I actually just need to take out of my diet because right. it just doesn't work for me. And now I am back to managing my diabetes better than I have in quite some time. I feel 
better than I have in a very long time. And I really do. I'm taking those steps to get off. But it's an additional tool that I had to put in my toolbox to help me. Are there factors that keep people from doing that? Are there social factors? Are there economic factors? Is there a percentage of people who just don't do it? I mean, what's what, are there numbers on that? That's a yeah. great question for my co-host, Tim McGraw. <laughs> 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 yes. I mean, that that is part of the reason the numbers are growing at the alarming rates that they're growing is because there just isn't the behavior change. And so I think there are a number of barriers for people. From a medical perspective, there's just, for some, flat-out denial, like mm-hmm. myself, right? Okay, I should know better. Yeah, I was diagnosed uh, with gestational diabetes, then it turned into type 2, and I really did nothing to control it for five years. The impact that that five years has had on me, mm-hmm. just a few more statistics, every two minutes, someone has a stroke from diabetes and its complications. Every five minutes, someone's losing a limb. And every 10 minutes, somebody's having liver and kidney failure. So five years went by of not good things happening to my organs. Mm -hmm. I talk about getting tested and knowing. Well, many people in America actually don't have access to go get that done That's right. easily. And then you add on top of that food and nutrition. So if you look at the diabetes belt, which is in the southern part of the United States, there are many places that are food deserts, meaning they don't have grocery stores within miles to even get the healthier, fresher mm-hmm. foods. So when you start to add all of those things up, Man, it's barrier after barrier. And one of the things that the American Diabetes Association is doing is saying, how do we actually simplify and make it easy for people to get the things that they need? We have to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. So this brings me right back to you, Julia and Lark, because we are in our phones, right? Wherever we are physically, we have this tool. Can you tell us about the effectiveness of the prompting. Yeah, it's amazing because as I listen to all of these things, we're always on our phones. So that's, to me, managing a chronic disease is like managing your own psychology, changing your lifestyle, changing your behavior, living with the stigmatized disease. It's it's debilitating sometimes. I, I We hear about people's loneliness, their f- sense of frustration. That's why we wanted to create an AI nurse that had a personality, that had a, a caring personality, that cared about you, that was a little quirky, and tried to just talk you through it and help you emotionally feel better and feel more in control. And so we worked with a lot of not just doctors, but a Harvard and Stanford faculty in cognitive behavioral therapy to really use talk therapy to try and turn your perception around so that you wouldn't feel like it was your fault, that there was shame. And that's the first step toward really creating change in your lifestyle. It's really fun, but you know, in the last year alone, our patients and our members have chatted with their LARC coach 
360 million times back and forth. You know, if that were live nurses, that would be the equivalent of 20,833 live nurses. Wow. That's so precise. <laughs> I love that. There's so much science happening yeah, right now. There's so much science. <laughs> For us, what we think is the crux of diabetes, of course, it's definitely knowing your numbers, but then knowing that uh, behavior change is a kind of a lifetime journey and to not be hard on yourself to just make some progress, as Tracy said, right? Like we're all human. We all kind of backtrack sometimes, but it's okay. And at 1 a.m., you know, when you're feeling really low, you can chat with your LARC coach and, and she'll chat through things with you. You know, that's the hope. Yeah. I, I like that idea. My mother was dealing with colon cancer toward the end of her life and managing the process. Yeah getting the right information, mm -hmm. keeping your spirits up, working through this, the medical system. It's like you need your own private doctor, your own Tim McGraw, your own Lark coach or something like it, and maybe a lawyer too sometimes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. To have that assistance. I think we're at this festival right now, which is about the power of technology in so many ways. And there is so much use of it that is going to scooting <laughs> and eating faster and getting things delivered to us that are very convenient. Yeah. This is about a more essential use, yeah. about being there for our children, about being there for our parents. You know, I commend all the work you all are doing to apply some of these superpowers to something truly good because the stats you shared with us, the stories you've shared with us, yeah. Tracy, they sound like war. You know, every few minutes, someone losing a limb, that's a level of violence that is extraordinary. And I, I don't recall this issue being discussed. I haven't been as tuned in, certainly. I'm not saying it hasn't been done. You're doing the work. But just thank you for, for being a part Absolutely. of it. I want to go to where we go and some of what the impact is. Now, Tim, you have gone through your own evolution You're in your family with your band. What do you see now that people are working out with you in your own gyms or in your road CrossFit, you know, rocker <laughs> country gym? What is the impact of that on well, the folks that you love and know? To the psychology that you were talking about, yeah. I mean, it sort of starts there. The psychology of teaching someone that it's okay to take control of something. Because some people, or a lot of people, and, and even successful people, have a hard time sometimes of taking control of things and being in control of something. So giving someone an opportunity in the psychology behind what taking control of something will do for you and what, what that will lead to is what I've seen the difference in more than anything. Mm -hmm. Taking one little thing and taking control of your health and being in control of your health and doing everything that you can, all the factors, of course, yes, there's genetic factors and all those things, but the things that you can concretely do that you can do every day that can help you move forward with your health creates a ripple effect in the rest of your life. And it creates a ripple effect in your relationships and your work and the way you think and the way you sleep and all the things that happen in your life. And it leads to a better quality of life with all those factors together. And that's what I've noticed with my guys and, and my band and my friends and, and my family who, not because of me, but because of they've taken control of their health. And, right. and, and I always draw an analogy with the airplane when you're on an airplane and they say, if the oxygen mask should fall, be sure to place it over your face first because you can't help anyone if you're passed out. Right. So that's the same logic that I think that you have to take and the psychology that you have to take into your life as you're taking care of your health is if you don't take care of yourself, you can't be there for your kids. You can't be there for your mom. You can't be there for your cousins. You can't be there for your employer or your employees. So that's what I've noticed. And that's the thing that's, that's been the biggest effect that I've seen is somebody finding something that can take control of their life, which leads to better things and more things and bigger things they can take control of. 
And what does that daughter of yours say now when she sees you on the screen? <laughs> she, she don't watch anything I do. <laughs> so real. So keeping it so real. I love you, man. That's so wonderful. Where are we, Tracy, with respect to a cure? You know, you've described this mission, helping people live with this disease, but also bringing it into it. Where are we and what do we have to do to get closer? So we're still continuing to fight for a cure. It's very complex. It's very complicated. If it wasn't, we would have found a cure by now, right? We, the American Diabetes Association, has been around for 79 years. There are a lot of organizations that are also focused on diabetes. There are lots of scientists and researchers focused on diabetes. I wish I had a magic globe or ball to predict. Here's what I do know. Progress is being made. The American Diabetes has a very innovative program that we call Pathways, where we fund young researchers. There's data and study and statistics that say the Nobel Prize winners usually think of their idea, their most creative idea, when they're younger, when they're in their 30s. So we are are funding these young scientists and diversity by design, we're taking them from wherever, just as long as they have a passion for finding a cure or helping us manage, helping those of us who are living with diabetes thrive. So this research, we have 32 researchers and already nine patents. I met with a group of the pathway scientists just two weeks ago in New York. I believe that they're going to crack the code somehow, some way. And while they're continuing to focus on a cure, I'm even more convinced they're going to make it easier and more manageable for all of us who are living with this disease to thrive until we find a cure. But I wish I had a a crystal ball that that could say it's coming. I just don't. Before the cure, right, in the meantime... Just knowing your numbers, getting diagnosed and seeking that. I I mean, for now, it's all about at least action in managing and preventing. I think the government has done amazing things in creating pre-diabetes. It's the first time that the government has fully medically reimbursed a prevention program, which I think is, is a huge step in the right way toward a universal medical benefit that's free to treat prevention rather than just waiting for someone to have it and then putting someone in much more expensive and much more of a struggle, a healthcare struggle. So. Well, a healthier population is good for all of us. It is, good yeah. for everybody. What's next for you and for Lark? We're really excited about this work with 23andMe in just more to help them understand prediabetes, treating that. But for us, it really is not just about diabetes and prediabetes, it's about all of the major chronic conditions in society that we're dealing with. So we just launched an AI hypertension nurse, an AI smoking cessation nurse, and trying to just provide universal health care that's compassionate and personal. I just, I thought of something for you, AI nurses. Mm-hmm. How do human nurses feel about these AI nurses? <laughs> I hope that nurses understand that no one can replace them, that their best features are the care and the love that they give, but they just don't have enough time and there are not enough nurses in the world. My hope is that they see us as a friend 
like, hey, I can't work 24 hours. There's 86 million pre-diabetics out there. There's, you know, hundreds of millions of folks struggling with chronic diseases. I have a partner now. I have someone who's doing the front line of defenses for me. Right. I can focus on the most difficult cases. So that's who we try to it's be like, a friend. Yeah, yeah, an advocate and a tool for the nurses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tim McGraw, what's next for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got nothing. I don't know. That's, um, that cannot be true. <laughs> I'm going to be playing a lot of shows this summer. A um, couple of things going on, a couple of books working on. So I'm um, going to be pretty busy. Yeah. You know, got a junior in high school, a junior at Stanford. Uh, Proud Stanford. I see the hat. That's, yeah. that's what you're talking about, the cost of college. Uh, you're yeah, wearing absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> and then um, a, a daughter out in L.A. is doing great stuff with acting. So I, yeah. I got a lot going on with my family. My wife's busy. She's doing a TV show right now. So it Everything's going on at our house. It's a revolving door at our place, pretty much. <laughs> starting from like February till October, November, we're pretty much on the go. And this book, In Grace, yes. what prompted you to want to put out a quote-unquote celebrity book, but about health, wellness, fitness, well, take you care know, of I've been asked quite a few times about it because it's been a long journey, you know, 10 years of, and I'd always been an athlete. You know, like I said, I come from a family of athletes mm -hmm. and, and, and always taken pretty good care of myself. But but when I really took control and, and used it as a tool for my work and my life. People ask me about it a lot and I don't have all any real answers for you except for, you know, these are the things that I do. These are the way that I approach things. And I think that you can attach some of these things to any part of your life or any station you're at in life and they will help you move forward. And that's what I think this book's about. Sort of my philosophy of how I came to this point in my life and the mistakes that I, I make and continue to make and yeah. will make and the mistakes I've made on the way. I look forward to seeing that in more detail. Thank you for yeah. putting that to paper. Tracy, what's next for you and for the ADA? It's just about kind of what we're doing right now, awakening the world to the seriousness of this diabetes health crisis yeah. and continuing to be that resource, credible, evidence-based organization that is going to continue to drive research and fund research both to help us now and to continue to fight for a cure, yeah. to continue to drive advocacy. One of the things that the American Diabetes Association does is give voice to the millions of people living with diabetes. There is still a lot of discrimination mm -hmm. um, that happens. So we fought for 11,000 people last year and won cases of discrimination for them. Legal so, court cases. Yes. And what does that discrimination look like? All kinds of things. One of the biggest ones that we just recently won was uh, for truck drivers, CDL drivers, not being able to drive because of diabetes. That's straight out discrimination. Yeah. We fought that and, and it was a long battle and we won. One that breaks my heart is young children in school. Many children are asked to leave the classroom when they have to test their blood sugar or get their insulin. Many of them, because there are not nurses in the schools, their ability to go on field trips, their ability to play athletics, all of these things, they're being discriminated. And so we fight on their behalf. So advocacy is a huge piece of what we're doing. And then the, the last is just continue to drive the healthcare and educational knowledge to empower people to take control of their lives, of their management, of their disease, because at the end of the day, we want everybody to be able to thrive while living with this disease. So beautifully said. Yeah, Thank you. Absolutely. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure 
you got to say. People are listening to the story. You don't have to, but I just want to open the door in case there I'm is. I'm just happy to be here and uh, learn so much today. I've learned a lot and met a lot of great people. So it's been, a, been an interesting experience and a very, very learning experience for me. I agree. I think you all, you all share some threads, right? You've got this family story that's prompted you, saved your life in each of your cases in some way. You're telling stories through your music. We didn't get too much into that, but you've got some songs, Live Like You're Gonna Die, right? And, and Being Humble and Kind. And we have felt humility and kindness from all of you on this stage. I love the transition you've made, Tracy, from the business world into this nonprofit world, talking about using skills for good. You've done it for Sam's Club. You've done it for Exxon. Now you're doing it for the fight against diabetes. So thank you. And, and Lark, again, I bring it back to South by Southwest and this whole idea of what the power is even for if you're not going to do something good with it. So thank you for doing something good with our mobile phones. <laughs> <laughs> really and truly, there's, there's a lot more coming. I want to thank all my guests. We've got lots of research, and we want to share all that with you. There's a post on 23andMe's blog. When this episode goes up, it's going to have a lot of links. Please make sure to subscribe to Spit. We've got great interviews from Mike Shinoda talking about mental health to Nikki Six on what it takes to beat addiction to Rita Wilson on breast cancer. The conversations are always fun and intriguing, as you have now witnessed. I'm Baratunde Thurston. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Before we leave, I'm excited to announce that 23andMe has just launched a new type 2 diabetes report that indicates if you're at an increased likelihood to develop the condition based on your genetics. With one in three Americans having diabetes and 90% of us not even knowing if we're pre-diabetic, this report could have a meaningful impact on our lives. Want to dig in more on today's topics and guests? Check our show notes. And if you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend, all your friends, and be sure to leave a review. If you want more surprising stories about how we're all related, search and follow Spit on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Spit is an iHeartRadio podcast with 23andMe. I'm Baratunde Thurston. You can find out more about me at baratunde.com or on social media wherever Baratundes are found. <laughs>